everybody, and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren. And I dare say we shall read a poem today. We shall read two, at least. Two poems again, at least. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, secondary to some interesting weather patterns that apparently took place all over the United States, I think Lauren has selected rain for her first poem today. Yes. So here's rain. I opened my eyes and looked up at the rain, and it dripped in my head, and it flowed into my brain. And all that I hear as I lie in my bed is the slishity slosh of the rain in my head. I step very softly. I walk very slow. I can't do a handstand. I might overflow. So pardon the wild, crazy thing I just said. I'm just not the same since there's rain in my head. Well, I'm curious to see where you're going with this because I don't think it's where I'm going with this. All right. There are a lot of different places I want to go with this. I wanted to start with uh, what was it like moving from Texas, where the rainfall is not so much, to the Pacific Northwest, where the rain is a lot? The weirdest part is that in Texas, every rainfall is an emergency. I remember very little just rain. Like, it seems like every time there's rain in Texas, it's accompanied by a thunderstorm. And the rain that I get up here is just irritating. Like, I can't even call it proper rain. It's just like some sort of sky entity is spitting on me. (laughs) But as far as, you know, just casting a bit of a pallor over everything, it does a really good job at that. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine that the Brits would feel right at home here. Yeah, and I do know some Brits who feel right at home here. <laughs> the buildings are just a lot newer. I know one Brit who uh, who's moved to the Pacific Northwest, and uh, sh- I was talking to her about a trip she was taking back to the UK. I was going to cat sit her, her difficult cat, and she had to replace the s- shale roofing on the house, on her house in the UK. Okay. Or it might have been slate, slate. It was slate. Can you imagine having a stone roof? I mean, I can imagine it. I I think we've evolved past that. Right, but they try to preserve the iconic atmosphere of that village, I think. But that's a really old building compared to what a lot of what you see in the United States. Almost anything. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like the, the the building I used to live in in Dallas was built in 1913. And, like, the queen is older than that, so, you know. (laughs) It was built in when? (laughs) I'm being facetious. (laughs) I said it was built in 1913, and the queen is older than that. I I just had to double check on that. Uh, My house was built in 1910, so I'm living in a slightly older house than that. Um, But I'm amazed it keeps out the rain as well as it does. Uh, Certainly, uh, wood is preserved very well in dry climates, but it is wet here. If you ever go by a house that's being demolished in the Pacific Northwest, it smells so bad. Mm, like there is good rot. so much bad stuff going on in the walls. That just to get a whiff of it passing by is on your walk, it's terrible. That's intriguing. I, I can't think of houses I've seen demolished. I saw a building demolished. You want you wanna no. an old wooden house to get that good old... Nasty smell. <laughs> that good old Lovecraftian smell of sinfulness. I think Eddie Izzard refers to Britain or the UK as where the history comes from. Fair. 
When I first moved to the, the Pacific Northwest, it was to Portland in 2002. And I, at first, I like everybody was warning me about, oh, the rain, the rain. And like you said, I was unimpressed the first year because it was just that light spitting on you for the most part. I'm like, whatever, I can walk around in this, no problem. It wasn't until about my third year here that I realized it mattered. Because once it starts doing that, it does it for nine fucking months. It, it rains for a long time. It does not stop. It does not stop raining. Every single day is the same. There's like not a lot of weather variation, which coming from Maryland, I was used to, you know, not being able to really expect what was about to happen to in Portland. Like, yep, there you go. It's going to spit on me again today. It got to the point that I, I, I was shaking my fists in rage at the sky, just being like, why? Why is it still doing this? Uh, the one thing that I do enjoy is I've never had a reason to own like a good umbrella uh, because it was something that I would use once in a blue moon. And now I almost want, I have, I have a slightly nicer umbrella than the one that I had in Texas, but I want like a really nice umbrella, like one that could double as like a cane and I could walk around looking poncy with. I mean, I don't know what the attitude on umbrellas is in Vancouver, but you can't carry an umbrella without looking poncy in Portland. We just don't really do uh, umbrellas. I mean, we do now, uh, but it used to be a very Portland cred thing to not carry in an umbrella. You were just supposed to have good enough raincoat that you never needed an umbrella. Portland cred. I do have. I, I do own a big warm raincoat now. Um, I think yeah, it's talk a about stadium. that. What was that like having to buy a coat? <laughs> well, I, I've never, I can't remember the last time I owned a coat, but not one like this. I mean, I sweat in this coat and it seems to be pretty waterproof, but I think I went overkill. I think the coat that I own is more for like Arctic exploration than <laughs> anything else. It's quite large and quite heavy and there's a big furry hood in it. And most times when I put it on, the hood stays down and I don't even zip the thing up just because it's monstrously hot. Yeah, when I when I first moved to the Pacific Northwest, I had a lot of like larger baggier coat items. Now everything is sleek and layered. Oh. Like I just I just have mainly just have a waterproof shell on top and then I have layers of usually wool underneath for insulation. We recently had temperatures in the 20s last week, and I didn't even feel it. Like, I wasn't wearing a winter coat. I was just wearing my rain jacket, but with so many layers underneath that it was nothing. When it falls below, when it hits below freezing, that's when I usually put the coat on. But I sort of layer normally. Today I went to the, I just got back from the grocery store when it was raining, and everyone seemed to have an umbrella, and I just had a scarf on. Hmm. They say there's no such thing as bad weather, there's only bad gear. But it took me years. <laughs> it took me years in Portland to get to the point where I was comfortable. Like I didn't what? I didn't understand that cotton was a no-no and that no matter how many cut layers of cotton socks I put on, my feet would never be warm. <laughs> now, I have to know who it is that where does this maxim come from? Who says that? Mm, I don't know. That's what they say a lot of people in the outdoor business. That's Let me look it up. Supposedly it's from Scandinavia. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going off the top things on the on the internet, so who the hell knows? Now, your interpretation of this poem and my interpretation of this poem are wildly different. Because I just finished a video game called Bloodborne. Okay, tell me about and it. And Bloodborne is a lot of fun and everyone out there should play it. 
it is monstrously difficult. It is made by the same people that brought you Dark Souls. And it is the best Lovecraftian game I've ever played in talking about like otherworldly entities and descents into madness and insanity and the unknowable and all like that. Uh, but it tells the story of a doomed city that wanted to transcend humanity. And there were a couple of... Oh, actually, that's schools. the plot of Critical Role right now. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, need, I need to check that out then. Well, I mean, I really enjoy Critical Role, but uh, I got I got hooked on you know D and D podcast from the McElroy brothers who just goof Adventure goof zone. dildo everything, uh, <laughs> and so then I moved on to Critical Role, and Critical Role is a very different beast. It it's a lot of dice rolling and hearing about the dice numbers, and while the McElroys edit most of that out. Yeah. They do not in Critical Role. So I have to be doing something else while I'm while I'm listening cuz otherwise it's boring. Like the yes. characters, the characters they come up with are wonderful and the plot is really cool and the world building is wonderful, but then there's all the dice rolling. There's lots of dice rolling. Watching any and there's any number of YouTube channels devoted to it, but get on to like a Warhammer or Warhammer 40,000 YouTube channel. And they'll lay out these massive battles between their tabletop armies. 50% of it is just calculating dice rolls. Yeah. Anywho, uh, this is not a tabletop game. This is a video game. And so you get to experience the visceral terror firsthand. And so through numerous experiments, all of which went poorly, as in any good horror franchise, um, one of them uh, was trying to elevate their brains to the level of gods or old ones such as it was. But they ended up making monstrosities that were very waterlogged in the head. And so you have characters that will attack you whose heads are bandaged massively, and all they do is scream about the sloshing. Hmm. I mean, what you you saying that kind of reminds me of some of the characters, uh, the NPCs, or I guess bad guys, that I would see you play in Bioshock. Oh, well, Bioshock, Bioshock right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not dissimilar when you're talking about dis- Bioshock 2 or whatever you were playing. Mm. Yeah, not dissimilar when it comes to disfiguration. Mm-hmm. My, uh, I've got a whole lot of folks still down in Texas. Most of them weathered the storms pretty okay. Yeah, I was wondering uh, how your folks were doing. My grandma lives near enough to a hospital that she never lost power because Good. they didn't. The, the, they never cut the power to the hospital, and so her house never lost power. Uh, my mom was in misery the entire time. Mm. She lives in a suburb far away from everything. Misery? House... I thought she lived in Texas. Ah, I see what you did there. Her power went out promptly. I think she left when it got down to like 40-some-odd and went over to her boyfriend's house where they still had power. After that, she came home after a while and had a few exploded pipes. Oh God, that's so, the that's the, that, that's the biggest fear. Is like, I can deal with cold. Like, as someone who's worked in the outdoor industry, I am prepared for extreme levels of cold. I am prepared for not having electricity. I am prepared for not having water. I am prepared for not having heat. I am prepared for a lot of things. I am not prepared to deal with my living space flooding. One of my new regrets is that I am not right now a plumber in Texas. Mm. Because, oh golly, they are making the bank this week. Yeah. She spoke to her usual plumber and was told that she was 200th in line. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, man. (laughs) So, 
Well, it's just like, I can't even imagine. So weather got down to the 20s in last week in Portland, and we got a foot of snow, which is way too much snow for Portland. And uh, everything was canceled, everything closed, and a lot of places lost power, and there were a bunch of downed trees. But in Portland, we own coats. We own, a lot of us own sleeping bags. Like, people are a lot more prepared to deal with bad weather here than they are in Texas, because we get more bad weather than Texas does. But I can't even imagine the people in Texas trying to deal with five degree weather and not owning coats. This is true. Well, it sounds so awful. I would like you to choose your favorite Texas Republican response to the storm. Okay. Former Texas governor and former secretary of energy Rick Perry uh, said that we are willing to sacrifice a few deaths uh, in order to keep energy regulation out. (laughs) Okay, that's the first one. Uh, Current governor Greg Abbott blamed windmills. Mm. And current Senator Ted Cruz. Wait, how much? How much of Texas's power goes on is wind energy? Not very much. I didn't think so. And, and the and, and the windmills were fine. The the, the reason uh, I'll get into it in just a second. Anyway, and Ted Cruz uh, flew to Cancun. Right. So so the the, the real cause behind it was for a long time, uh, Republican leadership in Texas wanted to deregulate its energy market, and so took the Texas power grid off of everything. And so Texas is its own little standalone beast right now. And when overwhelmed, there's no more energy. And so if you, if you look at the breakdown of the grid, you've got like the western half of North America, the eastern half of North America, and then Texas just sitting in the middle there. Hmm. I didn't know it was that in- interconnected. Very. In fact, I'll... I always thought it was a lot more regional than that. Here we go. So Russ has sent me an infographic that Adam Best on Twitter, Adam C. Best, tweeted. And it is exactly as he described. Western Interconnect, and that ends at Montana... New Mexico, Colorado. Yeah. There's some states, I think, that are cut in half. Yeah, yeah, there are. Montana's cut in half. Okay, yeah, that was confusing me. Um, And then there's Eastern Interconnect, and then there's Texas Interconnect, which is... What's up with... uh, Not all of Texas is on here. That's interesting. Not all of Texas is on there because uh, the the two regions that aren't are um, not as populous as the rest. And so, like, the only populous place kind of up north there is would be Amarillo. Um, and El Paso is part of the Western Interconnect grid. And, okay. of course, El Paso never lost any power. How, well, how did that uh, work? I mean, how, does, how did those cities escape being part of this disaster? I don't know. It, it's not pictured on here, but the Western and Eastern interconnects both extend up into Canada as well. Like, you and I are on the same interconnect oh. because I'm in Vancouver and you're in Portland. Well, that's good. Uh, a lot of our power in Oregon is from hydroelectric, which mm. uh, is fairly reliable. There are, of course, a lot of problems with hydroelectric power that make it not the best solution, uh, such as ecosystem disruption and displacement of indigenous communities. But... It's something we got going on here. So I think if I were to go, like, which evil Texas politician wins 
or is my favorite is the one who like came out right and said it that like they'd prefer people die than have energy regulation. I mean, all the rest are thinking that, but that one came out and said it. Texans, this is this is former governor of Texas and former uh, energy secretary Rick Perry. Texans would be without electricity for longer than three days to keep the federal government out of their business. Try not to let whatever the crisis of the day is take your eye off of having a resilient grid that keeps America safe personally, economically, and strategically. It doesn't say anything about people dying. No, it didn't. I just, I think that was me just projecting. Well, I mean, yeah, that's definitely the subtext. So I guess I'm going to go next with Ted Cruz, like, fucking off to Cancun because he can. That bastard. And then when caught, he promptly blamed his daughters. (laughs) Of course he did. He's he's such a worm. Like it's it's so marvelous. And 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 what really has Texans fuming right now is that the guy he beat Beto O'Rourke and who's apparently AOC, working his ass off. Both of them stepped up and yeah. uh, actually brought some aid in. Yeah. But 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 I mean like Ted's deal is that he just sees the he wants to be president. And he just sees the Senate as kind of a little annoyance in the way. And if he ever gets the Republican nomination, they deserve what they get. I mean, I felt that way about Trump, and then Trump somehow ended up in the Oval Office. So we all got what they deserved. Well, I have a concern. I'm not. This this isn't sunnier at all, is it? But uh, it's it's a fun little poem. I have feelings about this but, one. Oh, good. I want I want to hear them. This is Melinda May by Shel Silverstein. Have you heard of tiny Melinda May who ate a monstrous whale? She thought she could, she said she would, so she started in, right at the tail. And everyone said, you're much too small, but that didn't bother Melinda at all. She took little bites and she chewed very slow, just like a good girl should. And in 89 years, she ate that whale because she said she would. So we got to talk about the drawing. <laughs> okay. I like the drawing. I, I mean, I like the drawing I mean, in that the whale doesn't actually look like a whale. <laughs> it looks it's, sort of a sort of a blobfish. Yeah, it's just kind of a potato with a tiny tail. <laughs> uh, and the weird thing is, the whale is smiling in its death. It looks re- it looks content to be eaten. Doesn't it? It looks very content to be eaten. Uh, and then Melinda May is this very skinny girl who is sitting in a just a really tall chair. Her feet don't touch the ground. She is like this. She her face is sort of contorted because her ponytail is too tight or something. And then in the next page, there's this giant skeleton on the table. Her feet still don't touch the ground, but she's come with bigger. And she's a very skinny old lady, except that she's got a bit of a belly. There you go. So this, this drawing here reminds me of... I, I like to watch a lot of uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium's like deep sea camera stuff. Okay. And when a whale dies... So there's not a lot of nutrients at the bottom of the ocean. You kind of just get whatever drifts to the bottom, which is a lot of dead things and poop. But when... Are, oh, are, are, you, are you referring to these wonderful time lapses? Yeah, uh, sure, yeah. But what I love is that uh, is the bone worms. Like, okay. After everything else has been eaten, there are these worms that then just like finish out the bones. So there's absolutely nothing left. 
but it takes a long time. And so I I'm, like the sped up time lapses where, where where you can see the starfish walking up to the thing to eat it. Yeah, that's cool. And you, they definitely would eat the starfish walk up to the whale to eat it too. Uh, the thing is that they can't do too much of a time lapse to get the lapse to get the bone worms because you can't have a camera down there for a really long time and assume it will still be there when you get back. Also, the word, I, I, I'm not sure that there's any two words more terrifying that you could slap together than bone, bone worms. worms. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, there's the, it's the whole accomplish your goals no matter how long it takes kind of motif, which is super cute. And my thought was, what do you do in the situation where you don't have a goal that you want to accomplish? Oh, that's always like, me. Yeah, there's the, the, the follow your dreams. Well, what do you do if you don't have dreams? I don't really. It's awful. It's terrible. I, it's, you just sort of wander about your life aimlessly, and I'm still doing I it. Am, I thought I'd know by now. I am jealous of those who lived 150 years ago and, you know, would stub your toe and die of sepsis. No, not that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not jealous of that aspect. But you didn't have a choice in what you did. Like, if your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. If your mom was a seamstress, you were a seamstress. If your dad ran a store, you ran the store. And that's how it worked. And there was no being paralyzed for choice because you didn't get a choice in the matter. And I think I'm one of those people that needs to be told what to do. I'm not sure we really have that many choices. I think the, the problem is being told that we have a lot of choices and then realizing that we don't. Explain. Like, our parents are always like, oh, you could be whatever you want. But our parents also think that you can get a job by going somewhere and handing your resume over. <laughs> okay. Like, they think that you can get a job just by asking for one. Okay. But that's not the case at all. There are very few places that will actually hire you for the skills that you have. And you somehow have to find those those places that will do it. But you cannot... You cannot just be anything. Anything you do is predicated on what history you have in the past, what job you last did. So you are being funneled down a path and you have no idea where it goes. You just have to keep failing until something works. I'm reminded of a meme I saw starring Ash Ketchum from Pokemon. And uh, they, they, it was celebrating like their 20th anniversary or some such. And it's like a Ash Ketchum is now a 12-year-old with 20 years of experience, which means he's ready for his first entry-level position. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have much of a choice. You just have to hope and keep throwing spaghetti at the wall until something sticks. <laughs> where did that... Was it, where did that turn of phrase come from. I don't from. know where it came from, but I can tell you what it means. Like, what, like... Well, I, well, I, I know what it means. It's just like blue sky thinking. Just throw stuff at the wall and see what well, sticks. Well, no, I mean... But specifically spaghetti. So, yeah, yeah, no, no, it makes sense. So spaghetti will, if it is cooked, it will be flexible and sticky enough that you can throw it at the wall and it'll, it'll stick. Okay. There you go. Huh. If you, throw, if you put thinking, spaghetti on the wall and it sticks, I, it's done. I was thinking it was like some obscure, but who would test spaghetti like that? Why don't you just pick it up and bite it and be like, oh, that's done. Or that's, why would you throw spaghetti? I mean, like if I was sitting, that's what I do. I just bite it. But I mean, yeah, it has something to do with the I starch can... on the outside so that it kind of creates this wheat paste and it's flexible <laughs> I... and you stick it on the wall and it sticks. 
I can't. I can never picture cooking for someone and being like, "Let's see if it's done." Flap. <laughs> I mean, I've done it just I for funsies. I thought it was like a weird oblique reference to like that Odd Couple movie where Walter Matthau gets mad and throws the pot of spaghetti at the wall. I have seen no movies. Wow, this podcast keeps keeps on taking depressing turns. Uh, it's because I'm depressed. It's because things are depressing. Rain is terrible. Here we are, and we're paralyzed for choice because we'll never have good jobs. Well, I can go on a moral rant about whales and eating them. <laughs> well, don't worry. You said yourself it's it, it's just a smiling potato. Yeah, it is just a smiling potato. I have a lot of feelings about actually eating whales. But I think I could deal with it because gonna... the picture doesn't look like a whale. And, of course, you could replace it with any other large thing. It's like, how do you, how do you eat a locomotive? <laughs> Uh, and the answer the, the answer would be the same one bite at a time i know there's a joke that goes with that but i can't remember what it is it involves either like a hippopotamus or a rhinoceros or something like that well you, you, how do you eat a uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time right okay you could you could replace it with any large thing i uh, the, for, our lawyers have advised us that uh should the staff and participants of shall we read a poem do not advocate eating locomotives elephants or whales yeah don't eat any of them <laughs> and I just want to say that just sort of a little moral rant, I don't have an issue with uh, indigenous tribes eating whales. I have a problem with industrial consumption of whales, <clears throat> Norway and Japan. I expected better of Norway. Yeah, really. We both lived Not in so Japan, Japan and we don't expect they're... better of Japan. They, they got some issues, but Norway should know better. Right. All right, we should probably talk about locker fruit for a moment, even though it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. All right, let's talk about locker fruit. So once we were in a train station and we were putting our stuff in a locker, this is in Japan, of course, and I saw a bag of tangerines. And I was like, cool, free tangerines. And they smelled amazing. So I started peeling one and I took a bite and I was just like, ugh, ugh, yuck, ugh. I had never met a yuzu before, but later I was to find that they were yuzu, not tangerines, and yuzu is kind of like a very bitter lemon, but it smells so amazing. I never, sh- I never should have eaten that packet of powdered gravy I found in the parking lot. I do a lot of things like that. Don't eat the found food. <laughs> I do all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, don't be like Norway and don't eat whales. All right. All right. Be safe. Yeah. Stay alive.